And as they go, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the great reminder we have just heard in the offertory. Nothing can wash away our sin except for the blood of Jesus. It's in His name that we gather today to exalt Him as the great Savior that He is. And we would ask that even this time as we study Your Word together would be a time of exalting Christ with our minds, that You would help us to be clear-headed and we would be able to think appropriately about Him so that we might live in an appropriate way also. You are so kind to us and You've given us so much and it's great to gather with other brothers and sisters in Christ to find encouragement and to find stimulation to love and good deeds in the name of Christ. And we would pray that this would be exactly what happens during our time here together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, since it's 4th of July weekend, we have all been reminded of just how passionate we are as Americans about celebrating our freedoms. I've never met an American uh, who didn't love the 4th of July unless we're including dogs as Americans. They're about the only ones who don't love the 4th of July. It's something that we put our heart into. We, we love it. We love to celebrate. We love to talk about it. We love to get emotional about what we talk about on the 4th of July. It's not just once a year either. If you were to pay attention and just take note of all the things in our culture uh, that symbolize our freedom as Americans, there are all sorts of examples from the Statue of Liberty on a national level or the national anthem to our local parks like Memorial Park or Freedom Park. Some of you might even drive a Jeep Liberty. We, we love America as Americans. And, and I know anytime I've had opportunity to leave the country and I've come back to America, there's something in my, my heart that, 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 that rises and, and it makes me love America all the more and It's good. It's good to feel this way. It's good that God gave us a desire for freedom. It's good to feel that that, that emotional sense, I would say, that you get when you sing the national anthem or on the 4th of July you hear the fireworks and maybe people are singing it together and there's something in me that that tends to miss a few words because I feel emotional. I, I love America and I'm passionate about my freedom as an American God has given us so much. It seems to be the right and natural response. But what I would like to do today is, is take that emotion that we feel for freedom as Americans and redirect it. What I would like to do today is to challenge your passion for freedom. That emotion that you feel when you think about being free as an American, I would like to take that and turn it somewhere else. Let me ask this question to formulate where we're headed. Why is it that we as Americans are so passionate about our national freedoms? And yet we as professing Christians so many times are so apathetic about the greatest freedom anyone could ever know, which is freedom from sin. Today we're going to talk about freedom from sin. Today we're going to talk about Jesus Christ and Him giving us the freedom that is matchless. 
Please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to take shots at the, the emotion you feel on the 4th of July. I'm actually suggesting that you should embrace that, see the goodness of God in it, and praise Him for it, and have that be evidence that we are supposed to like freedom. That, that there's something built in us that, that is emotional about freedom. And to see where there is a greater freedom, freedom from sin and its bondage, that it is right to feel a sense of passion and a sense of zeal and praise to God. So I'm not trying to put one down. I'm trying to say, look at that and see, look at the greater freedom that we have. It troubles me greatly that, that I, when I sing the national anthem or, or I hear the song sung, I'm proud to be an American or at least I know I'm free and all the, the fireworks and everything going off. It troubles me greatly that, that I feel emotional the way I do when I hear that. But when I sing the wonderful cross by Isaac Watts that we sang today, I don't miss a beat. I don't feel choked up at all too many times. My question is, when we think about the greatest freedom in the whole world, where are the fireworks? And so what we'll do this morning is simple. This is simple, basic Christianity, but it's what we love as Christians because it is all about Christ and His greatness in being our great liberator. We're going to look at freedom from sin from three different angles, three different truths about freedom from sin. Number one, we will look at freedom from the penalty of sin given to us by Christ. Then we will look at freedom from the power of sin given to us by Christ. And then we will look at freedom from the presence of sin with a future to look given to us by Christ. It all comes back to Christ and His perfect life and His perfect death on the cross and His perfect resurrection. And I hope when you leave here today, you want to drive outside of the city limits and buy half-price fireworks. And really, you want to pay full price. That you would love Christ like you've never loved Him before. And that you would be passionate. Yes, to be an American. How great is that? But far out doing that, that you would be passionate about being someone who has been freed from the tyrant of all tyrants, your own sin that will damn your soul forever apart from being freed from it. Sound good? I cannot wait to talk about this this morning. I was so excited first hour, and I did this so much, because that's what I do when I get excited, that I actually started bleeding. So, I don't want anyone to hold me to that standard. If he's really preaching a good sermon, and if he really loves us, the pastor bleeds for us. You're getting the gospel confused. Uh, <laughs> But I'm that motivated to talk about this this morning because this is really where it's at for us. My prayer for myself has been, and I pray this now and then, I should pray it all of the time, but my prayer has been for myself that I would, I would feel very pastoral this morning. And the reason I've been praying that for myself is because I'm so burdened that we have misplaced passions or misappropriated passions. Christians of all people should get this. Number one, let's talk about freedom from Christ from the penalty of our sin. The penalty of our sin. 
I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. And we're going to key in on one word. We can look at other words that talk about this freedom that we have in Christ. If we believe in Him, we trust in Him, and that is redemption. Redemption is a freedom word. And so if you turn to Romans chapter 3, you'll be able to see this. And we'll look at a series of different passages in different books of the Bible. But let's see that we've been freed and it's redemption. But as you're turning there, it's appropriate to, to stop and realize if we're freed from the penalty of sin, what is the penalty of sin? Listen to what God says the penalty of sin is. When He says in Ezekiel 18.4, The soul who sins, that would be you, that would be me, shall die. Death is the penalty of sin. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is what? Death. That's the consequence. Or Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Maybe a little bit more commentary on this kind of death we're talking about before we get to Romans 3. This death is deserved, Genesis 2.17, as we just saw. This death is eternal, Revelation 20, Matthew 25. This death is conscious punishment, Matthew 13, Luke 16. This death is administered by the hand of God, who is almighty and all-knowing and just, which is bad news for you and for me. Revelation 20.11, Revelation 14.10. This death is ultimately culminating in a place called the Lake of Fire, Revelation 20. And this good God shows His love and sends His Son to be our Redeemer, our Liberator, to free us. Let's go ahead and look at Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Simple Bible passages, but let, let, it's time to do a little, of a, a little emoting perhaps, folks. Verse 24, and, and are justified, talking about salvation, talking about those who believe, and are justified by His grace as a gift, so we don't earn it. It's not by our trying to do good or trying to redeem ourselves. It's by His grace as a gift through, here's our key word for this morning, the redemption. I love it that it's not just redemption, it's the redemption, the redeeming work of Christ that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a satisfaction by His blood to be received by faith. How great is that? The Redeemer, the Liberator is Christ. We're free from sin which results in eternal condemnation through Christ the Son. Redemption. God purposely uses this word that is a great word borrowed from an ugly context. He borrows this word from the ancient culture where it's used uh, of the slave market or the market in general, but in particular he's thinking of the slave market where people are bought and sold. They're redeemed. And the Bible talks about this many times with Christ. God, because He's a loving God, sends His Son into this world to pay for our sins, to buy us out of the slave market of sin. Everyone has sinned. Therefore, everyone is in shackled to sin. Everyone is in bondage to sin. We need a Redeemer. We need to be freed, not from a tyrant king or a tyrant queen across the pond, as it were, We need to be freed from sin and the consequences of our sin. And it's Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to a couple of other passages. Galatians chapter 3, then Ephesians chapter 1, 
We could turn to Colossians 1 as well. The list could go on and on. But we should be impressed. We should be passionate. Of all people, we should be the most passionate because we've been freed by Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, if you're new to the Bible, you just turn from Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. We're just keying in on this one word because it's talking about our great freedom secured by Christ. In verse 13 of chapter 3, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He bought us out from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, as it is written, cursed is everyone who, hanged, who is hanged on a tree. Christ redeemed us. Let's look at one other passage for the sake of time, and that's Ephesians chapter 1. If you're in Galatians, you just turn one book to the right. And in Ephesians chapter 1, we see the same reality of redemption. But remember, as you turn to Ephesians, we learn in Ephesians 2, which we won't go to, but in Ephesians 2 we learn that spiritually, as unbelievers, we were dead in trespasses and sins, led by the devil. We weren't looking to be redeemed. We weren't like those who have been in bondage to a captor, and we see the troops coming, uh, coming to, to rescue us, and, and we see them coming over the hill, and we're saying, oh yes, come, redeem us, free us, we want so badly to be freed. No. That would be good. That would be exciting. We're talking about something far better. Because the fact of the matter is, as a sinner, you didn't want to be freed. Dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, but God, God intervenes. But earlier in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, as he's bursting forth with all of this praise, says in verse 7, in Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption, we have freedom, right? Through His blood, through His atoning sacrifice, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We didn't earn this. We weren't reaching out for it. If we were reaching out, it wouldn't be grace. It would be earned, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. It's absolutely amazing. It's staggering. And you, you might be saying to yourself, I've done this kind of thinking in my Christian life. You might be thinking, okay, this sounds impressive and important, but you know what, Pat? I'm not really a passionate guy. You know, I, I, I lean more toward the logical side of things. Well, grow up. <laughs> okay? <laughs> we all need to eventually. Um, the Apostle Paul was pretty logical. Okay? <laughs> He wrote Romans. It's really logical. And you have to remember that when he says what he says in verse 7 and 8, it's coming after he says what he says earlier. And beginning in verse 3 is where he's just bursting forth. He's emoting, if you will, with praise where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's absolutely passionate like no one is passionate on the 4th of July as an American. He couldn't be more passionate, it would seem. And so if you're logical, great. If you're that logical, connect the dots with me. You of all people should be passionate. This is absolutely amazing. You're on the fast track to hell, deserving it fully. And what happens? God intervenes and frees you from the penalty of your sin and redeems you through His Son. Yeah, right? 
doesn't get any better. It absolutely doesn't get any better. The more you think about it logically, the more passionate you're going to become. It's absolutely amazing. Where are the fireworks? I mean, if anything causes me to want to go blow stuff up, it's this. <laughs> this is awesome. Redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. This is fantastic. I mean, the next time I see there is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, and I don't have at least, you know, twice the passion I have when I sing the national anthem, I of all people should be flogged. America is not going to last forever. It's a great country. But go from the lesser to the greater. We're talking about redemption. It lasts forever. Have a party. Blow things up, you know. <laughs> if that's how you express your passion. If you would also turn to John chapter 8. Just a great passage quoting Jesus and what he says about this freedom. And as you're turning to John chapter 8, I'll just read Acts 13 from the Apostle Paul. Verse 38, the Apostle Paul says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything. I love that from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Just what a great, big, encompassing statement about Christ's work. Freed from everything is what's true in Christ. It's no wonder he would say that because Jesus says what he says in John 8.36. Look there with me if you would. Where it says in John 8.36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Isn't that good? If the Son sets you free, you will be free. Indeed, he says. Just for good emphasis. Just to put a big old period there. A big old explanation point. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Why? Because the Father sends the Son. Remember Matthew chapter 1? He will save His people from their sins. He's the Deliverer. He's the Redeemer. He's the Savior. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. This isn't pseudo-freedom. This isn't, you know, if I just believe in God and try to keep the Ten Commandments, you won't. Anyway, then I'll be free. But I'm not sure if I'm going to make it, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be free. Or this is not, if I try really hard to do what God says, and, and, and maybe, maybe after I die, He's going to make me suffer for a while, but eventually I'm going to be free, I think, I hope, maybe. Would you pray for me that maybe I could someday be free? That's not what we're talking about here. If the Son makes you free... You'll be free indeed. He redeemed us, right? Not making redemption possible so that you can do your part. 
He redeemed us, and it goes back to the cross and His perfect work there. Isn't this great stuff? It's absolutely great because it's absolutely gospel. Frees us from our shackles. Not pseudo-freedom, but real freedom. Imagine going to the video store. I know we don't do that anymore because we have Netflix. Thank God for Netflix. No more late fees. But imagine going to, going to the Blockbuster or whatever and you've got a, a free coupon. This has happened to me before. Go, free rental, two free rentals or whatever and pick out my rentals and here's my card. And they said, oh, Mr. Aberdorf or however they pronounce my name. Uh, you know, did you know you have a late fee of $7.36? I'm like, no. When would you like to pay it today? No, I'd like to pay it never. Why are you asking me if I'd like to pay it? I mean, it's like, get a life. But it's, I feel tricked. I feel like I should go home and yell at my wife because she has a late fee. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's my late fee. I feel tricked, you know. I went there thinking I was going to get something free, and then they told me I owed them seven bucks. If I would have known that, I would have went to Hollywood Video where I probably didn't have a late fee, you know. It's trivial, I know. But what's not trivial is a lot of times people who are tricked by religion, sometimes calling itself Christian, are given something that is labeled hope, hope of freedom. It's not something other than what we're talking about. It's you might get there, but you might get tricked at the end because you didn't do enough. Biblical Christianity says if the Son makes you free, because of that, right? You will be free indeed. He redeemed us. Past tense. Done. Oh, how I love to proclaim it as the song says. Because it's true freedom. No tricks. No tricks at all. What do you think? You need some fireworks? <laughs> I think you do. Okay, that's not all. Second aspect of our freedom would be freedom from sin's power. Freedom from sin's penalties fantastic, but it doesn't end there. Also, freedom from sin's power. And by the way, this outline that I'm using is one that has been used over and over and over again by pastors because these are so basic to biblical Christianity. And so I'm just trying to follow uh, suit here and saying we need to remember these things and we forget sometimes. And These are the things we should be most passionate about. Freedom from sin's power is also a reality. Turn with me if you would to Romans chapter 6. And this is really the classic passage dealing with this. I know we studied it uh, not too long ago as a church, but we need to be reminded that this is, this is freedom from sin's power. Think, if you would, as you're turning to Romans 6, about how bad sin is. Think about all different kinds of sin without sinning, I hope. You start listing different kinds of sins and you see the oppressive nature of sin. Sin oppresses people like Stalin never could have. 
Because sin oppresses not just on the outside, but on the inside, right? And so when we're talking about sin, we're talking about things uh, like murder, yes. Rape, yes. Stealing, yes. Lying, yes. All of these things that are awful. But we're not just talking about those things. We're talking about actually what goes on inside. Remember, Jesus said, if you think it in your mind, it's as if you've done it. And so, sin is the ultimate oppressor. Because, because it doesn't just affect us externally, it actually affects us internally. And actually, it's what's inside is the problem because it leads to what happens on the outside. And we learn in the Bible that because of Calvary, because of Christ, we are freed not only from the penalty of sin, we're freed from the power of sin that leads to those things. Look with me and see. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, By no means. No. How, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And the implied answer is, it's absolutely impossible to do that. Verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? It's probably not water baptism because it's baptized into His death. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The basic gist of it is we've learned in five chapters you're justified by faith and by faith alone based upon the work of Christ and the work of Christ alone and He's made Himself so clear that then the question is should we just keep sinning? And then the sanctified logic kicks in. After he says no, he explains why. And what we're going to see is he explains that if you believed in Christ, you've been united with Christ, and that means you've been united with Christ in his death. You two have died. And not only that, you've been united with Christ in his resurrection. You two have been raised from the dead. And now you're free. You don't have to sin anymore. You, you have freedom from the power of sin. Let's go ahead and see some of the sanctified logic. He says in verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Notice the certainly. This is true for all Christians. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing or rendered inoperative would be a good way to translate that. Powerless so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I love verse 7. For one who has died has been set free, there's our word for today, from sin. Then he continues to unpack it in a great way, but we'll drop down to verse 20 where he says, When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Talking about you as an unbeliever. Verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. I love 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every Christian who's truly a Christian 
Not the kind of people in Matthew 7 that say they're Christians and aren't. Every Christian that is truly a Christian has been, according to Romans 6, united with Christ. And they've been united with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. That means every Christian is free from the power of sin. Notice I didn't say every Christian is sinless. That'll get us to point three in just a little while. But every Christian is free from the power of sin. That means I can stand before you and I can say, I do not have to sin. Not because, you know what, I'm a pretty strong person. And you know what, I've read a lot of books about sanctification. And I've got a lot of godly friends and we hang out together and I just want you to know I don't have to sin. The argument of Romans 6 is, I don't have to sin because by the grace of God I've been united with Christ in His death and resurrection. You see, this is all grace. It's really important that we get this. This isn't anything new. This isn't a unique doctrine. This is basic to Christianity. I don't have to sin and neither do you. And other people will whisper in your ear and say, you know, oh yes you do. It's not your fault. It's just the way that you are. You're unique. It's because of your circumstances. If that's true, then Romans 6 is lying. And Jesus actually didn't do what He claims to have done. I side with Jesus. I think you should too. And, and you stop and think about what's happening here. If, if, if Christ has done this, and He has freed us from the power of sin, we were enslaved to sin, and we're no longer enslaved to sin based upon what He has done. So this isn't all about us and how, how strong we are in our personalities. This is all about what Christ has done for us. Then in the end, we are super passionate about praise to Him because we are big, fat sinners by nature. Enslaved to sin, it says. I stand before you as one who, who has sinned greatly. I have a sin nature. This is what I do. Do this is who I am. Christ Jesus the Lord has done amazing things. Not only freeing from the penalty of sin, but freeing of the power of sin. This is fantastic. This is, this is absolutely amazing. Notice I didn't say incredible. <laughs> Sometimes people suggest, maybe they don't use these words, and they say, you know, I've, I've got the gospel figured out. I understand that, you know, Jesus lived and then he died and then he rose again, and if I believe in him, then um, I don't have to go to hell. But pastor, now I just want to live my life. And I want you to help me deal with the struggles of life. And I've got these temptations I'm dealing with. And, and, and I'm having a difficult time here. So can you, can you help me out? And 
the suggestion is, can you move past the cross? Can you move past Christ and actually help me with things that, you know, matter in my life? And if that's how you think, you are in the right place. Okay? And if that's not how you think, you are in the right place. We'd like you to teach some classes. <laughs> All of that to say... Romans 6 is teaching us that the power over the difficult stuff in your life, let's call it sin, is the cross, is the work of Christ, is the resurrection of Christ. In other words, we don't just preach Christ crucified for salvation, for, for justification. We want to preach Christ crucified and resurrected for sanctification, spiritual growth and maturity. Because it's, it's key to everything. Not only do I avoid the, the penalty of, of my sin, which is eternal condemnation, because of the work of Christ, I also am freed from the power of sin as a Christian in my daily living because of Christ. It all comes back to Christ. It's no wonder the Bible says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? In Hebrews. The author and the perfecter of our faith. That's what Christians do. That's the key. Think about this for a second. Just think, just think about the fact that... Just, let's just pretend we're going to take turns. And you're going to come up here, and you're going to stand up here, and uh, you're going to stand at the microphone, and you're going to say, you know, hi, my name is Pat, and I have a problem. No, not that. But <laughs> you're going to come up here, and you're going you're to say, hi, my name is Pat, and I'm a Christian, and therefore I don't have to sin. Now, if that's tied to you, you're an arrogant person, right? But if it's tied to Christ, it's showing how great Christ is. And by the way, you're telling the truth. I would encourage you to do that in your mind. Now, if you're not a Christian, it's not true. You're enslaved to sin. And we would urge you to trust in Christ as your Savior. This is so good. been vividly reminded of something like this within the last 24 hours. Temptation comes. Strong temptation comes to do something I know is sinful. Didn't do it. Maybe I crossed the line so far in my mind that I'm guilty of the sin. Probably, I don't know. But my point is, I didn't wake up this morning praying, saying, Oh God, thank you that I'm not like other men. Oh God, thank you I'm not like other sinners who succumb to such temptations. Thinking, you know what? What Christ did on the cross is pretty amazing because I know myself. And the reality of the matter is, what I should be doing is calling a different pastor at Omaha Bible Church saying, I need you to preach today because I can't. Because I'm not qualified to preach, especially on this. That would be my personal testimony. The power to not sin, even though we struggle with sin, Galatians 5, but the power to not sin 
is in the cross. It's in what Christ has done. So we've got to keep coming back to him. We have to keep coming back to him. We have to keep being impressed with him. And we don't have to sing. I don't have to sing with my mouth. I don't have to sin with my hands. I don't have to sin with my mind. I don't have to sin. And neither do you. Christ is great. Christ is magnificent. And I can no longer say, I can't if I'm a Christian. And neither can you. You can say, I won't. And if you say you're a Christian and you say, I can't, I'm going to translate that for you. You're saying, I won't. The power's in the cross. Go buy some fireworks. (laughs) Pay full price. There should be fireworks going off in our hearts and we're going, yeah! (laughs) This is the best thing in the whole world. I know myself. And I don't have to sin because of what Christ has done. Then we come to number three and I'm thankful we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today because this will be a great way for us to conclude today. But number three, number one, power over sin's consequences. Number two, or or excuse me, victory over sin's ultimate penalty, victory over sin's power, and number three, freedom or victory from sin's presence. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3, and then I'll reference a couple of other passages, and then we'll wrap things up. 1 John chapter 3, and then I'll reference a couple of other passages, and then we'll wrap things up. Freedom from sin's penalty, freedom from sin's power, freedom from sin's presence. And this now takes us to looking to the future. There's a day coming because of the cross where there will no, no longer be any struggle. In a sense, there will be no longer any Galatians 5 between flesh and spirit. I want this day to come. <laughs> but it's going to come because of Christ. First John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. It's based upon the atoning work of Christ, based upon redemption. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, speaking of Jesus and His second coming, we shall be like Him. 1 John 3, verse 2. Did I tell you the wrong place? All right. We shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. But key in, if you will, on that statement there. It says, we are children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know, confidence, that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Well, obviously, this doesn't mean you'll become the second person of the Trinity. This doesn't mean you'll become the God-man. But to the degree that you can be like Christ as a human being, you will be like Him. No doubt it means you will not have sin anymore. You'll be glorified. You won't, you won't have sin anymore. Well, how could this be? It's because of His work. Locked in. In fact, a good cross-reference to 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 is Romans chapter 8. Why don't you go ahead and turn there. And if you turn to Romans 8, that'll be our last passage for this morning to look at. But as you are turning to Romans 8, listen to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 
which is tying all of this to the cross of Christ, says, but our citizenship, talking about Christians, is in heaven. And from it, from heaven, we wait, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How about this? In verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. It's the same kind of complimentary promise. He's going to change us. We're not going to have sin anymore. I love Romans 8 because it talks about us being glorified, which is talking about the same idea. Look at Romans 8.30. Look at the very last word at Romans 8.30. I can't wait to get here, and this will be our last topical study before we get back to Romans. But look at the very end of Romans 8.30 where it says, He also glorified. To be glorified is to be perfected. It means the same thing, really, that First John was talking about or Philippians was talking about when we no longer have sin, since presence is even gone. And look at the logic of it. Go up to verse 29. We'll build our way. We'll walk our way down to verse 30. In verse 29 it says, For those whom He foreknew, notice He foreknows people, not circumstances, He foreknew or foreloved, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Then verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If there's anything to celebrate, my friends, it's that. If there's anything to be passionate about, in addition to these other things, it's that. Glorified, past tense. But that hasn't even happened yet. In one sense, I want to say, Paul, haven't you read 1 John? You know? Paul, did you forget about what you wrote about in Philippians chapter 3? This is actually something that's not going to happen until Christ returns. Well, he doesn't need a corrective. He knows that, but he's speaking in terms of that which is sure. That was, which is absolute, that which is as good as done. And so he says glorified, right? Hasn't happened yet. But in God's perspective, it's already happened. Why? Because it all goes back to the cross, which already happened. At the cross, Jesus Christ secured my glorification to the point where the Bible talks about it as past tense. I'm glad you're proud to be an American. I'm so thankful to be a Christian. Notice I didn't say proud. (laughs) And it just blows away my pride as an American. I'm so thankful to be a Christian. This is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And I I do feel emotional about it. And it absolutely moves me like nothing else moves me. And it should be true for you if you're a Christian, no doubt. Romans 8 is is deluxe, you know. It's in the context of suffering and persecution and difficulty. And what does he do? He goes into eternity past, those whom he foreknew. This is before time. He also predestined, also before time, component number two, if you want to use what theologians talk about, the, the, the five links in God's inseparable chain of salvation. Those whom he foreknew, that's before time begins, as we know, before I breathe my first breath. He also predestined, Before time begins, as we know it, before I breathe my first breath, he also called, now we're in time, the Apostle Paul always uses that word called as that which is effectual, that which is going to happen, that which is sure it does happen. Link number four, right? Am I doing right? 
Not so good at math. <laughs> Link number four, he also justified. That's in time as we know because according to Romans, you're not justified until you are granted faith, until you believe. Justification follows belief. And then, glorified. It hasn't happened yet. Wow. And how did this happen? Because we're such good people. No. This happened because of the work of Christ. And this causes me to want to take notes from the Apostle Paul and be passionate about my praise. And respond the right way. I love it that we do feel a sense of passion when we talk about our freedom as Americans. It's great because God has given us great things, no doubt. But you know, it also shows us that there's something in us that responds the right way to freedom. And that's a great teaching tool because when we're talking about the greatest freedom imaginable, I don't care if you're not an emotional person or not, you know? We respond with passionate praise and thanksgiving to God. And whether it causes you to want to go blow stuff up or something else, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not the best idea. But you get the point. You want to respond and say, yes. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you so much for, for Jesus Christ the Lord. Thank you for that great promise that came from His very mouth. That if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed how that cuts through all of the pseudo-freedoms that religion offers. And it just makes everything clear. That true, sure freedom that guarantees even glorification is found in the Son. Lord, may He be the object of our worship and exaltation. May we... Do what you said, even from heaven. That we would listen to him, knowing that you are pleased with him. Lord, may we listen to him. In Jesus' name, amen.